Hello, wonderful people, especially Rachel. All right, let me not make the same mistake as last time. My microphone is, in fact, on. And as you may have noticed, I'm in a new location today. I'm kind of excited about this because hopefully this is going to mean a lot fewer stream interruptions. Um, it's my very favorite thing when streams go well, so... <clears throat> I've had to make some sacrifices, including... Uh, you know, some lighting stuff. Some visual stuff mostly, but, uh, you know, to be honest, like, not having a green screen is kind of okay because my background's pretty, ooh, pretty cool. <laughs> now, I appreciate anybody who's coming back because last week was a bit of a challenge. Let's hope for a better week this week. If you don't know who I am or what the heck I'm doing, my name is Sam, and this is Sidecar Stories. Uh, I like to stream stories, I like to read, I love to read, and um, after going on a little adventure, I started reading Harry Potter out loud uh, to somebody who's very close to me. As I was doing it, I realized I liked it a lot, and because I want to get into voice acting, it's a great way for me to practice. I love talking about things. My favorite classes in school were always literature classes, um, love learning about things, love talking about, love discussing, uh, you know, literary themes and characters and places. So, to anybody who's here, thank you very much for joining me. I'm going to do a quick summary of what happened last week. Basically, um, a lot of plotting on, it seems, all sides. Harry had a devastating Quidditch match. Professor Lockhart continues to hassle Harry. Harry doesn't care for his classes, but he's kind of sucking it up because they need to get his permission to get into the library. They succeed in getting into the library. They get the book that they need to make the potion that they need to get to Malfoy because they're pretty sure if they could get in the same room with Malfoy um, and they can get into the same room looking like somebody who Malfoy trusts, they're pretty sure that Malfoy is going to brag about being the heir of Slytherin and opening up the Chamber of Secrets and all that. So they decide to start brewing this polyjuice potion in Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. It's a defunct girl's bathroom. Uh, they get started on the process, but it's going to take a little while. After that, they have a Quidditch match. It's a pretty serious one, Gryffindor versus Slytherin. And during the match, there's a bludger that seems to be going kind of specifically for Harry. Uh, that's not how a normal bludger is supposed to behave. It's kind of an equal opportunity uh, smacking device, basically. Um, and Harry ends up falling off of his broom and breaking his arm. He ends up in the infirmary. has to take a bottle of Skelligro because guess who decided to show up and help? Gilderoy Lockhart. Gilderoy Lockhart casts a spell which is designed to fix his arm. Instead, just deletes all the bones in his arm. So he's in the infirmary, drinking Skelligro. It's apparently a very nasty product. And he uh, is growing back the bones in his arm. While he's there, who should show up but Dobby? Dobby explains that he was the one who set the bludger after Harry. Not only that, but he was also the one who set the... Um, the platform nine and three quarters wall against Harry, you know, closed it off so Harry couldn't get back to Hogwarts. Dobby has been calling, causing all sorts of trouble since the very beginning of this story. 
He still won't say why, except just to keep Harry away from Hogwarts, because he believes that Harry is in danger by being at Hogwarts. And then somebody enters the infirmary. Dobby pops away, and it's Professor McGonagall and Professor Dumbledore. They've got Colin Creevy, who has been petrified, just like Mrs. Norris the cat. And his camera's all melted on the inside. It would seem that Dumbledore might know something about what's going on, but even McGonagall is mystified by the whole thing. That's my summary. That is from one chapter from last week. We're doing... uh, Last week was supposed to be chapters 10 and 11. This week we're doing 11 and 12 because I got a little bit into chapter 11 and decided it wasn't worth continuing. Hopefully, this stream is going to be much smoother. Like I said, I'm in a different location. This might actually be, this location might be semi-consistent. Hopefully I'm going to be able to stream here more often and uh, give you guys much better, more consistent streams. That would be excellent. All right. I hope you're ready because now we're going to get into chapter 11. If you've got anything you'd like to talk about, any discussions, comments, questions, concerns, anything you'd like to talk about, characters we're meeting or places we're going or things we're learning, go ahead and put them in the chat. I'd love to talk about them. Either stop and talk about them or I might wait and get to them during the break. All right. Here we go. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Chapter 11. The Dueling Club. Harry woke up on Sunday morning to find the dormitory blazing with winter sunlight, and his arm reboned but very stiff. He sat up quickly and looked over at Colin's bed, but it had been blocked from view by the high curtains Harry had changed behind yesterday. Seeing that he was awake, Madame Pomfrey came bustling over with a breakfast tray, and then began bending and stretching his arms and fingers. "'All in order?' she said as he clumsily fed himself porridge left-handed. "'When you've finished eating, you may leave.' Harry dressed as quickly as he could and hurried off to Gryffindor Tower, desperate to tell Ron and Hermione about Colin and Dobby. But they weren't there. Harry left to look for them, wondering where they could have got to and feeling slightly hurt that they weren't interested in whether he had got his bones back or not. As Harry passed the library, Percy Weasley strolled out of it, looking in far better spirits than the last time they'd met. "'Oh, hello, Harry,' he said. "'Excellent fine yesterday. Really excellent. Gryffindor has just taken the lead for the House Cup. You've earned fifty points.' "'You haven't seen Ron or Hermione, have you?' said Harry. No, I haven't, said Percy, his smile fading. I hope Ron's not in another girl's toilet. Harry forced a laugh, watched Percy walk out of sight, and then headed straight for Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. He couldn't see why Ron and Hermione would be in there again, but after making sure that neither Filch nor any prefects were around, he opened the door and heard their voices coming from inside the locked stall. 
It's me, he said, closing the door behind him. There was a clunk, a splash, and a gasp from within the stall, and he saw Hermione's eye peering through the keyhole. Harry, she said. Oh, you gave us such a fright. Come in. How's your arm? Fine, said Harry, squeezing into the stall. An old cauldron was perched on the toilet, and a crackling from under the rim told Harry they had lit a fire beneath it. Conjuring up portable waterproof fires was a specialty of Hermione's. We'd have come to meet you, but we decided to get started on the polyjuice portion, Ron explained, as Harry, with difficulty, locked the stall again. We've decided this is the safest place to hide it. Harry started to tell them about Colin, but Hermione interrupted. We already know. We heard Professor McGonagall telling Professor Flitwick this morning. That's why we decided we'd better get going. The sooner we get a confession out of Malfoy, the better, snarled Ron. You know what I think? He was in such a foul temper after the Quidditch match he took it out on Colin. There's something else, said Harry, watching Hermione tearing bundles of knotgrass and throwing them into the potion. Dobby came to visit me in the middle of last night. Ron and Hermione looked up, amazed. Harry told them everything Dobby had told him, or hadn't told him. Hermione and Ron listened with their mouths open. The Chamber of Secrets has been opened before? Hermione said. This settles it, said Ron in a triumphant voice. Lucius Malfoy must have opened the chamber when he was at school here. Now he's told dear old Draco how to do it. It's obvious. Wish Dobby had told you what kind of monster's in there, though. I want to know how come nobody's noticed it sneaking around the school. Maybe it can make itself invisible, said Hermione, prodding leeches to the bottom of the cauldron. Or maybe it can disguise itself, pretend to be a suit of armour or something. I've read about chameleon ghouls. You've read too much, Hermione, said Ron pouring dead lace wings on top of the leeches. He crumpled up the empty lace wing bag and looked at Harry. So Dobby stopped us from getting on the train and broke your arm. He shook his head. You know what, Harry? If he doesn't stop trying to save your life, he's going to kill you. The news that Colin Creevy had been attacked, and was now lying as though dead in the hospital wing, had spread through the entire school by Monday morning. The air was suddenly thick with rumor and suspicion. The first years were now moving around the castle in tight-knit groups, as though scared they would be attacked if they ventured forth alone. Jenny Weasley, who sat next to Colin Creevy in charms, was distraught, but Harry felt that Fred and George were going about cheering her up the wrong way. They were taking turns covering themselves with fur or boils and jumping out at her from behind statues. They only stopped when Percy, apoplectic with rage, told them he was going to write Mrs. Weasley and tell her Ginny was having nightmares. Meanwhile, hidden from the teachers, a roaring trade in talismans, amulets, and other protective devices was sweeping the school. Neville Longbottom bought a large, evil-smelling green onion, a pointed purple crystal, and a rotting newt tail before the other Gryffindor boys pointed out he was in no danger. He was a pure blood and therefore unlikely to be attacked. They went for Filch first, Neville said, his round face fearful. Everyone knows our bulbos to squib.
In the second week of December, Professor McGonagall came around as usual, collecting the names of those who would be staying at school for Christmas. Harry, Ron, and Hermione signed her list. They had heard that Malfoy was staying, which struck them as very suspicious. The holidays would be the perfect time to use the polyjuice potion and try to worm a confession out of him. Unfortunately, the potion was only half finished. They still needed the bicorn horn and the boomslang skin, and the only place they were going to get it was from Snape's private stores. Harry privately felt he'd rather face Slytherin's legendary monster than let Snape catch him robbing his office. What we need, said Hermione briskly as Thursday afternoon's double potions lesson loomed nearer, is a diversion. Hello, Luke. Luke says, jumping in for a few minutes while my kids are busy. How's it going, Luke? Thanks for joining me. You know, other than people related to me, Luke, I think you've been my... <laughs> Probably one of my bigger fans outside. Thank you very much. What we need, said Hermione briskly as Thursday afternoon's double potions lesson loomed nearer, is a diversion. Then one of us can sneak into, sneak, sneak into Snape's office and take what we need. Harry and Ron looked at her nervously. I think it'd be better if I do the actual stealing, Hermione continued in a matter-of-fact tone. You two will be expelled if you get into any more trouble, and I've got a clean record. So all you need to do is cause enough mayhem to keep Snape busy for five minutes or so. Harry smiled feebly. Deliberately causing mayhem in Snape's potion class was about as safe as poking a sleeping dragon in the eye. Potions lessons took place in one of the large dungeons. Thursday afternoon's lesson proceeded in the usual way, Twenty cauldrons stood steaming between the wooden desks, on which stood brass scales and jars of ingredients. Snape prowled through the fumes, making waspish remarks about the Gryffindor's work, while the Slytherins sniggered appreciatively. Draco Malfoy, who was Snape's favorite student, kept flicking pufferfish eyes at Ron and Harry, who knew that if they retaliated they would get detention faster than you could say unfair. Harry's swelling solution was far too runny, but he had his mind on more important things. He was waiting for Hermione's signal, and he hardly listened as Snape paused to sneer at his watery potion. When Snape turned and walked off to bully Neville, Hermione caught Harry's eye and nodded. Harry ducked swiftly down behind his cauldron, pulled one of Fred's filibuster fireworks out of his pocket, and gave it a quick prod with his wand. The firework began to fizz and sputter. Knowing he had only seconds, Harry straightened up, took aim, and lobbed it into the air. It landed right on target in Goyle's cauldron. Goyle's potion exploded, showering the whole class. People shrieked as splashes of the swelling solution hit them. Malfoy got a faceful, and his nose began to swell like a balloon. Goyle blundered around, his hands over his eyes, which had expanded to the size of a dinner plate. Snape was trying to restore calm and find out what had happened. Through the confusion, Harry saw Hermione slip quietly into Snape's office. Silence! Silence! Snape roared. Anyone who has been splashed come here for a deflating draught. When I find out who did this... Harry tried not to laugh as he watched Malfoy hurry forward, his head drooping with the weight of a nose like a small melon. As half of the class lumbered up to Snape's desk, 
some weighted down with arms like clubs, others unable to talk through gigantic puffed-up lips. Harry saw Hermione slide back into the dungeon, the front of her robes bulging. When everyone had taken a swig of the antidote and the various swellings had subsided, Snape swept over to Goyle's cauldron and scooped out the twisted black remains of the firework. There was a sudden hush. If I ever find out who threw this, Snape whispered, I shall make sure that person is expelled. Harry arranged his face into what he hoped was a puzzled expression. Snape was looking right at him, and the bell that rang ten minutes later could not have been more welcome. <sighs> he knew it was me, Harry told Ron and Hermione as they hurried back to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. I could tell. Hermione threw the new ingredients into the cauldron and began to stir feverishly. It'll be ready in two weeks she said happily. Snape can't prove it was you, said Ron reassuringly to Harry. What can he do? Knowing Snape, something foul, said Harry, as the potion frothed and bubbled. A week later, Harry, Ron, and Hermione were walking across the entrance hall when they saw a small knot of people gathered around the notice board, reading a piece of parchment that had just been pinned up. Seamus Finnegan and Dean Thomas beckoned them over, looking excited. "'They're starting a dueling club,' said Seamus. First meeting tonight. I wouldn't mind dueling lessons. They might come in handy one of these days.' <laughs> "'What, you reckon Slytherin's monster can duel?' said Ron, but he too read the sign with interest. "'Could be useful,' he said to Harry and Hermione as they went to dinner. "'Should we go?' Harry and Hermione were all for it, so at eight o'clock that evening they hurried back to the great hall. The long dining tables had vanished, and a golden stage had appeared along one wall, lit by thousands of candles floating overhead. The ceiling was velvety black once more, and most of the school seemed to be packed beneath it, all carrying their wands and looking excited. Hmm, I wonder who will be teaching us, said Hermione as they edged to the clattering crowd. Someone told me Flitwick was a dueling champion when he was young. Maybe it'll be him. Well, just as long as it's not... Harry began, but he ended on a groan. Gilderoy Lockhart was walking onto the stage, resplendent in robes of deep plum and accompanied by none other than Snape, wearing his usual black. Lockhart waved an arm for silence and called, Gather round, gather round. Can uh, everyone see me? Can you all hear me? Excellent! Now, Professor Dumbledore has granted me permission to start this little dueling club to train you all in case you ever need to defend yourselves, as I myself have done on countless occasions. For full details, see my published works. Let me introduce my assistant, Professor Snape, said Lockhart, flashing a wide smile. He tells me he knows a tiny little bit about dueling himself and has sportingly agreed to help me with a short demonstration before we begin. Now... I don't want any of you youngsters to worry. You'll still have your potions master when I'm through with him. Never fear. Wouldn't it be good if they finished each other off? Ron muttered in Harry's ear. Snape's upper lip was curling. Harry wondered why Lockhart was still smiling. 
If Snape had been looking at him like that, he'd have been running as fast as he could in the opposite direction. Lockhart and Snape turned to face each other and bowed. At least Lockhart did, with much twirling of his hands, whereas Snape jerked his head irritably. Then they raised their wands like swords in front of them. As you see, we are holding our wands in the accepted combative position, Lockhart told the silent crowd. On the count of three, we will cast our first spells. Neither of us will be aiming to kill, of course. I wouldn't bet on that, Harry murmured, watching Snape baring his teeth. One, two, three! Both of them swung their wands above their heads and pointed them at their opponent. Snape cried, Expelliarmus! There was a dazzling flash of scarlet light, and Lockhart was blasted off his feet. He flew backward across the stage, smashed into the wall, and slid down to sprawl on the floor. Malfoy and some of the other Slytherins cheered. Hermione was dancing on tiptoes. Do you think he's all right? She squealed through her fingers. <laughs> Who cares? said Harry and Ron together. Lockhart was getting unsteadily to his feet. His hat had fallen off and his wavy hair was standing on end. Uh, well, there you have it, he said, tottering back onto the platform. That was a disarming charm. As you see, I have lost my wand. Ah, thank you, Miss Brown. Yes, uh, an excellent idea to show them that, Professor Snape, but if you don't mind me saying so, it was very obvious what you were about to do. If I had wanted to stop it, it would have been only too easy. However, I felt it would be, uh, instructive to let them see. <laughs> Snape was looking murderous. Possibly Lockhart had noticed because he said, Enough demonstrating, I'm gonna come amongst you now and place you all into pairs. Professor Snape, if you'd like to help me. They moved through the crowd, matching up partners. Lockhart teamed Neville with Justin Finch Fletchley, but Snape reached Harry and Ron first. It's time to split up the dream team, I think, he sneered. Weasley, you can partner Finnegan. Potter. Harry moved automatically toward Hermione. I don't think so, said Snape, smiling coldly. Mr. Malfoy, come over here. Let's see what you make of the famous Potter. And you, Miss Granger, you can partner Miss Bulstrode. Malfoy strutted over, smirking. Behind him walked a Slytherin girl whom reminded Harry of a picture he'd seen in Holidays with Hags. She was large and square, and her heavy-set jaw jutted aggressively. Hermione gave her a weak smile that she did not return. Face your partners! called Lockhart, back on the platform, and bow. Harry and Malfoy barely inclined their heads, not taking their eyes off each other. Wands at the ready, shouted Lockhart. When I count to three, cast your charms to disarm your opponents, only to disarm them. We don't want any accidents. One, two, three. Harry swung his wand high, but Malfoy had already started on two. His spell hit Harry so hard he felt he'd been hit over the head with a saucepan. He stumbled, but everything still seemed to be working, and wasting no more time, Harry pointed his wand straight at Malfoy and shouted, Rictus Sempra! 
A jet of silver light hit Malfoy in the stomach, and he doubled up, wheezing. I said disarm only! Sh uh, Lockhart shouted in alarm over the heads of the battling crowd as Malfoy sank to his knees. Harry had hit him with a tickling charm, and he could barely move for laughing. I said disarm only! Lockhart shouted in alarm over the heads of the battling crowd as Malfoy sank to his knees. Harry had hit him with a tickling charm, and he could barely move for laughing. Harry hung back with a vague feeling it would be unsporting to bewitch Malfoy while he was on the floor. But this was a mistake. Gasping for breath, Malfoy pointed his wand at Harry's knees, choked Tarantelegra, and the next second Harry's legs began to jerk around out of his control in a kind of quick step. Stop! S stop! Screamed Lockhart, but Snape took charge. Finit incantatum, he shouted. Harry's feet stopped dancing. Malfoy stopped laughing, and they were able to look up. A haze of greenish smoke was hovering over the scene. Both Neville and Justin were lying on the floor, panting. Ron was holding up an ashen-faced Seamus, apologizing for whatever his broken wand had done, but Hermione and Millicent Bulstrode were still moving. Millicent had Hermione in a headlock, and Hermione was whimpering in pain. Both their wands lay forgotten on the floor. Harry leapt forward and pulled Millicent off. It was difficult. She was a lot bigger than he was. Dear, dear, said Lockhart, skittering through the crowd, looking at the aftermath of the duels. Up you go, Macmillan. Careful there, Miss Fawcett. Pinch it hard, it'll stop bleeding uh, in a second, Boot. I think I'd better teach you how to block unfriendly spells, said Lockhart, standing flustered in the midst of the hall. He glanced at Snape, whose black eyes glittered, and looked away quickly. Let's have a volunteer pair. Longbottom and Finch Fletchley, how about you? A bad idea, Professor Lockhart, said Snape, gliding over like a large and malevolent bat. Longbottom causes devastation with the simplest of spells. We'll be sending what's left of Finch Fletchley up to the hospital wing in a matchbox. Evel's round pink face went pinker. How about Malfoy and Potter? said Snape with a twisted smile. Excellent idea, said Lockhart, gesturing Harry and Malfoy into the middle of the hall as the crowd backed away to give them room. Now, Harry, said Lockhart, when Draco points his wand at you, you do this. He raised his own wand, attempted a complicated sort of wiggling action, and dropped it. Snape smirked as Lockhart quickly picked it up, saying, Oops, Maya, my wand is a little overexcited. Snape moved closer to Malfoy, bent down and whispered something in his ear. Malfoy smirked, too. Harry looked up nervously at Lockhart and said, Professor, could you show me that blocking thing again? Scad, muttered Malfoy, that Lockhart couldn't hear him. You wish, said Harry out of the corner of his mouth. Lockhart cuffed Harry merrily on the shoulder. Just do what I did, Harry. What, drop my wand? But Lockhart wasn't listening. One, two... Three, go! he shouted. Malfoy raised his wand quickly and bellowed, Serpensortia! The end of his wand exploded. Harry watched, aghast, 
as a long black snake shot out of it, fell heavily on the floor between them and raised itself, ready to strike. There were screams as the crowd backed away swiftly, clearing the floor. Don't move, Potter, said Snape lazily, clearly enjoying the sight of Harry standing motionless, eye to eye with the angry snake. I'll get rid of it. Allow me, shouted Lockhart. He brandished his wand at the snake, and there was a loud bang. The snake, instead of vanishing, flew ten feet into the air and fell back to the floor with a loud smack. Enraged, hissing furiously, it slithered straight toward Justin Finch Fletchley and raised itself again, fangs exposed, poised to strike. Harry wasn't sure what made him do it. He wasn't even aware of deciding to do it. All he knew was that his legs were carrying him forward, as though on casters, and that he had shouted stupidly at the snake, Leave him alone! And miraculously, inexplicably, the snake slumped to the floor, docile as a thick black garden hose, its eyes now on Harry. Harry felt the fear drain out of him. He knew the snake wouldn't attack anyone now, though how he knew it he couldn't have explained. He looked up at Justin, grinning, expecting to see Justin looking relieved or puzzled or even grateful, but certainly not angry and scared. "'What do you think you're playing at?' he shouted, and before Harry could say anything, Justin had turned and stormed out of the hall. Snape stepped forward, waving his wand, and the snake vanished in a small puff of black smoke. Snape, too, was looking at Harry in an unexpected way. It was a shrewd and calculating look, and Harry didn't like it. He was also dimly aware of an ominous muttering all around the halls. Then he felt a tugging on the back of his robes. Come on, said Ron's voice in his ear. Move! Come on! Ron steered him out of the great hall, Hermione hurrying alongside them. As they went through the doors, the people on either side drew away as though they were frightened of catching something. Harry didn't have a clue what was going on, and neither did Ron nor Hermione explain anything until they had dragged him all the way up to the empty Gryffindor common room. Then Ron pushed Harry into an armchair and said, You are a parcel mouth. Why didn't you tell us? I'm a what? said Harry. A parcel mouth, said Ron. You can talk to snakes. I know, said Harry. I mean... That's only the second time I've ever done it. I accidentally set a boa constrictor on my cousin Dudley at the zoo once. It's a long story. But it was telling me it had never seen Brazil, and I sort of set it free without meaning to. That was before I knew I was a wizard. A boa constrictor told you it had never seen Brazil? Ron repeated faintly. So, said Harry, I bet loads of people here can do it. Oh, no, they can't said Ron. It's not a very common gift, Harry. This is bad. What's bad? said Harry, starting to feel quite angry. What's wrong with everyone? Listen, if I hadn't told that snake not to attack Justin... Oh, that's what she said to it. What do you mean? You were there. You heard me. I heard you speak in parcel tongue, said Ron. Snake language. You could have been saying anything. It's no wonder Justin panicked. He sounded like you were egging the snake on or something. It was creepy, you know? Harry gaped at him. 
I spoke a different language? But I... I didn't realize. How can I speak a different language without knowing I can speak it? Ron shook his head. Both he and Hermione were looking as though someone had died. Harry couldn't see what was so terrible. You want to tell me what's wrong with stopping a massive snake biting off Justin's head? He said. What does it matter how I did it as long as Justin doesn't have to join the headless hunt? It matters, said Hermione, speaking at last in a hushed voice, because being able to talk to snakes is what Salazar Slytherin was famous for. That's why the symbol of the Slytherin house is a serpent. Harry's mouth fell open. Exactly, said Ron. And now the whole school's going to think that you're his great-great-great-great-grandson or something. But I'm not, said Harry, with a panic he couldn't quite explain. You'll find that hard to prove, said Hermione. He lived about a thousand years ago. For all we know, you could be. Harry lay awake for hours that night. Through a gap in the curtains around his four-poster, he watched snow starting to drift past the tower and wondered. Could he be a descendant of Salazar Slytherin? He didn't know anything about his father's family, after all. The Dursleys had always forbidden questions about his wizarding relatives. Quietly, Harry tried to say something in Parseltongue. The words wouldn't come. It seemed he had to be face to face with a snake to do it. But I'm in Gryffindor, Harry thought. The Sorting Hat wouldn't have put me here if I had Slytherin blood. Mmm, said a nasty little voice in his brain. But the Sorting Hat wanted to put you in Slytherin, don't you remember? Harry turned over. He'd see Justin the next day in Herbology, and he'd explain that he'd been calling the snake off, not egging it on. Which, he thought angrily, pummeling his pillow, any fool should have realized. By next morning, however, the snow that had begun the night before had turned into a blizzard so thick that the last Herbology lesson of the term was cancelled. Professor Sprout wanted to fit socks and scarves on the mandrakes, a tricky operation she could entrust to no one else now that it was so important for the mandrakes to grow quickly and revive Mrs. Norris and Colin Creevy. Harry fretted about this next to the fire in the Gryffindor common room, while Ron and Hermione used their time off to play a game of wizard chess. For heaven's sake, Harry, said Hermione, exasperated as one of Ron's bishops wrestled her knight off of his horse and dragged him off the board. Go and find Justin if it's so important to you. So Harry got up and left through the portrait hole, wondering where Justin might be. The castle was darker than it usually was in the daytime because of the thick, swirling gray snow at every window. Shivering, Harry walked past the classrooms where lessons were taking place, catching snatches of what was happening within. Professor McGonagall was shouting at someone who, by the sound of it, had turned his friend into a badger. Resisting the urge to take a look, Harry walked on by wondering what Justin might be using his free time to catch up on, deciding to check the library first. A group of Hufflepuffs who should have been in Herbology were indeed sitting... It was a noise, sorry. I think it's just traffic outside. 
It sounded like a very large phone buzzing, though. A group of the Hufflepuffs, who should have been in Herbology, were sitting at the back of the library, but they didn't seem to be working. Between the long lines of high bookshelves, Harry could see that their heads were close together, and they were having what looked like an absorbing conversation. He couldn't see whether Justin was among them. He was walking toward them when something of what they were saying uh, met his ears, and he paused to listen, hidden in the invisibility section. So anyway, a stout boy was saying, I told Justin to hide up in our dormitory. I mean to say, if Potter's marked him down as his next victim, it'll be best if he keeps a low profile for a while. Of course, Justin's been waiting for something like this to happen ever since he let slip to Potter he was muggle-born. Justin actually told him he'd been down for Eaton. That's not the thing... That's not the kind of thing you bandy about with Slytherin's air on the loose, is it? You definitely think it is Potter then, Ernie? Said a girl with blonde pigtails anxiously. Hannah, said the stout boy solemnly, he's a parcel mouth. Everyone knows that's the mark of a dark wizard. Have you ever heard of a decent one who could talk to snakes? They called Slytherin himself Serpent Tongue. There was some heavy muttering at this, and Ernie went on. Remember what was written on the wall? Enemies of the air, beware. Potter had some sort of run-in with Filch. Next thing we know, Filch's cat gets attacked. That first year, Creevy was annoying Potter at the Quidditch match, taking pictures of him while he was lying in the mud. Next thing we know, Creevy's been attacked. He always seems so nice, though, said Hannah uncertainly. And, well, he's the one who made, you know, disappear. They can't be all bad, can he? Ernie lowered his voice mysteriously. The Hufflepuffs bent closer, and Harry edged nearer so he could catch Ernie's words. No one knows how he survived that attack by you-know-who. I mean to say he was only a baby when it happened. He should have been blasted into smithereens. Only a really powerful dark wizard could have survived a curse like that. He dropped his voice until it was barely more than a whisper, and said, That's probably why you-know-who wanted to kill him in the first place. Didn't want another dark lord competing with him. I wonder what other powers Potter has been hiding. Harry couldn't take it anymore. Clearing his throat loudly, he stepped out from behind the bookshelves. If he hadn't been feeling so angry, he would have found the sight that greeted him funny. Every one of the Hufflepuffs looked as though they had been petrified by the sight of him, and the collar was draining out of Ernie's face. Hello, said Harry. I'm looking for Justin Finch Fletchley. The Hufflepuffs' worst fears had clearly been confirmed. They all looked fearfully at Ernie. What do you want with him? said Ernie in a quavering voice. I wanted to tell him what really happened with that snake at the dueling club. Ernie bit his white lips, and then, taking a deep breath, he said, We were all there. We saw what happened. Then you know that after I spoke to it, the snake backed off, said Harry. All I saw, said Ernie stubbornly, though he was trembling as he spoke, was you speaking parcel tongue and chasing the snake toward Justin. I didn't chase it at him, Harry said, his voice shaking with anger. It didn't even touch him. It was a very near miss, said Ernie. And in case you're getting ideas, 
he added hastily. I might tell you you can trace my family back through nine generations of witches and warlocks and my blood's as pure as anyone's, so... I don't care what sort of blood you've got, said Harry fiercely. Why would I want to attack Muggleborns? I've heard you hate those muggles you live with, said Ernie swiftly. It's not possible to live with the Dursleys and not hate them, said Harry. I'd like to see you try it. He turned on his heel and stormed out of the library, earning himself a reproving glare from Madame Pince, who was polishing the gilded cover of a large spellbook. Harry blundered up the corridor, barely noticing where he was going he was in such a fury. The result was that he walked into something very large and solid, which knocked him backward onto the floor. Oh, hello, Hagrid, Harry said, looking up. Hagrid's face was entirely hidden by a woolly, snow-covered balaclava, but it couldn't possibly be anyone else as he filled most of the corridor with his moleskin overcoat. A dead rooster was hanging from one of his massive, gloved hands. All right, Harry, he said, pulling up the balaclava so he could speak. Why aren't you in class? Cancelled, said Harry, getting up. What are you doing in here? Hagrid held up the limp rooster. Second one killed this term, he explained. It's either foxes or a blood-sucking bugbear, and I need the headmaster's permission to put a charm around the end coop. He peered more closely at Harry from under his thick, snow-flecked eyebrows. Are you sure you're all right? You look all hot and bothered. Harry couldn't bring himself to repeat what Ernie and the rest of the Hufflepuffs had been saying about him. It's nothing, he said. I'd better get going, Hagrid. It's Transfiguration next, and we've got to pick up my books. He walked off, his mind still full of what Ernie had said about him. Justin's been waiting for something like this to happen ever since he let slip the potter that he was muggle-born. Harry stamped up the stairs and turned along another corridor, which was particularly dark. The torches had been extinguished by a strong icy draft that was blowing through a loose window pane. It was halfway down the passage when he tripped headlong over something lying on the floor. He turned to squint at what he had fallen over and felt as though his stomach had dissolved. Justin Finch Fletchley was lying on the floor. Rigid and cold, a look of shock frozen on his face, his eyes staring blankly at the ceiling. And that wasn't all. Next to him was another figure, the strangest sight Harry had ever seen. It was nearly headless Nick, no longer pearly white and transparent, but black and smoky, floating immobile and horizontal, six inches off the floor. His head was half off, and his face wore an expression of shock identical to Justin's. Harry got to his feet, his breathing fast and shallow, his heart doing a kind of drum roll against his ribs. He looked wildly up and down the deserted corridor and saw a line of spiders scuttling as fast as they could away from the bodies. The only sounds were the muffled voices of teachers from the classes on either side. He could run, and no one would ever know he had been there. But he couldn't just leave them lying here. He had to get help. Would anyone believe he hadn't got anything to do with this? As he stood there, panicking, a door right next to him opened with a bang. 
Peeves, the poltergeist, came shooting out. Why, it's Potty Wee Potter, cackled Peeves, knocking Harry's glasses askew as he bounced around him. What's Potter up to? Why is Potter lurking? Peeves stopped, halfway through a mid-air somersault. Upside down, he spotted Justin and nearly headless Nick. He flipped the right way up, filled his lungs, and before Harry could stop him, screamed, Attack! Attack! Another attack! No mortal or ghost is safe! Run for your lives! Attack! Door after door flew open along the corridor and people flooded out. For several long minutes, there was a scene of such confusion that Justin was in danger of being squashed and people kept standing in nearly headless Nick. Harry found himself pinned against the wall as the teachers shouted for quiet. Professor McGonagall came running, followed by her own class, one of whom still had black and white striped hair. She used her wand to set off a loud bang which restored silence and ordered everyone back into their classes. No sooner had the scene cleared somewhat than... Ernie the Hufflepuff arrived, panting on the scene. Caught in the act! Ernie yelled, his face stark white, pointing his finger dramatically at Harry. That will do, Macmillan, said Professor McGonagall sharply. Peeves was bobbing overhead, now grinning wickedly, surveying the scene. Peeves always loved chaos as the teachers bent over Justin and nearly headless Nick, examining him. Peeves broke into a song. Oh, Potter, you rotten. Now what have you done? You're killing off students. You think it's good fun. That is enough, Peeves, barked Professor McGonagall, and Peeves zoomed away backward, his tongue out at Harry. Justin was carried back up to the hospital wing by Professor Flitwick and Professor Sinistra of the astronomy department, but nobody seemed to know what to do for nearly headless Nick. In the end, Professor McGonagall conjured a large fan out of thin air, which she gave to Ernie with instructions to waft nearly headless Nick back up the stairs. This Ernie did, fanning Nick all along like a silent black hovercraft. This left Harry and Professor McGonagall alone together. This way, Harry, she said. Professor, said Harry at once, I swear I didn't... This is out of my hands, Potter, said Professor McGonagall curtly. They marched in silence along a corridor, and she stopped before a large and extremely ugly stone gargoyle. Lemon drop, she said. This was evidently a password, because the gargoyle sprang suddenly to life and hopped aside as the wall behind him split in two. Even full of dread for what was coming, Harry couldn't fail to be amazed. Behind the wall was a spiral staircase that was moving smoothly upward, like an escalator. As he and Professor McGonagall stepped into it, Harry heard the wall thud closed behind them. They rose upward in circles, higher and higher, until at last, slightly dizzy, Harry saw a gleaming oak door ahead, with a brass knocker in the shape of a griffin. Harry knew now where he was being taken. This must be where Dumbledore lived.
And that is the end of Chapter 11 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Thank you guys for joining me. Luke, Rachel, woman, maybe Hannah. Um, I appreciate you guys being here with me. If during that time you've got anything you'd like to discuss, go ahead and put it in chat. I would love to talk about it. Anything about the people we've met, the places we've been, stuff we're learning. Anything about this uh, strange mystery we're encountering. Go ahead and put it in chat. I'm really enjoying reading these to you guys. And I'm really excited because look how well the stream is going. Of course, I uh, I look like some real nonsense over there. My, my webcam's all slow, but... Uh, I know how to fix that, and next time, it's going to be great. We are in the middle of chapters 11 and 12 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. We've just finished, but I wanted to talk really quick about a couple of special things. First of all, very big thanks to who I'm... Let's see. We need a special, we need a special nickname for her. Or for them. It's not just her. Basically... Um, the family of somebody that I'm close to has been very, very gracious about letting me use their space. And it's not just space, it's also the internet connection. Honestly, it's mostly the internet connection. And that is what's allowing me to really, really improve the quality of the stream that we have today. So it's almost like it's almost a sponsorship. So let's give it like today. Um, <laughs> today's broadcast is brought to you by some very special Hufflepuffs. They're the ones being particularly generous. So I won't mention them by name because I don't think, you know, like I I think it would be great to mention people by name, but I don't always know if people want that. And, you know, like, like they might even think it's fine now, but if this thing were to get traction and people were to see my videos, I don't know how much they would want to be associated with this. So I'm trying to be careful. So right now we're just going to call them my special Hufflepuff friends, thank you very much for allowing me to do this here. And thank you all very much for watching. That's number one. The second thing is something that I've already talked about, but because it was on a crappy stream, I think it deserves talking about again. It's part of the reason why I wore my special glasses today. These are the Harry Potterist glasses I own. They're a little tough to see with the... Uh, the glare but they're they're nice and round i think they make me look about as like about as similar to harry potter as i could i even have a forehead scar you guys may not know this but i've got a, a small forehead scar it's not lightning shaped and i don't plan to add little to it to make it more lightning shaped because i think that would be strange to do if it happened on accident Maybe that would be fine. Also, mine wasn't nearly as dramatic. I'm pretty sure I hit my head on a cabinet in the laundry room. Anyway, this is important to me. This was a gift given to me by someone who I would consider to be the number one fan of this, uh, of the story streams. Rachel, you've heard her name before. Rachel, I want to thank you very much for my gift. It is my very own Ollivander's wand. She delivered it to me while I was uh, on a visit back home in this custom box with my name on it. It's got my full name, so I'm not going to show you that bit. Um, and with a little plaque inside reading Cherrywood 
Dragon Heart String Core, 14 inches in slightly yielding flexibility. This is my wand. There are many like it, but this one is mine. And I just want to show you all this gift that was given to me. It's tangled because I'm a fool and I uh, put the, the twine inside the container and now it's tangled a bit. Rachel says, it me. Rachel, it you. It you and your wonderful gift. Here it is. My very own wand. I have never had a wand before. And I really appreciate this bit of, I think you'd call it fan mail. I can cast spells with it. Uh, Wingardium. Mm, no, 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 no. Accio Feather. <laughs> I love it. I think it's wonderful. She's got this fantastic detail of what's like sort of a, a glittering black rose kind of carved into the bottom of it. And I think that is a fantastic detail. And truly, I just love it. So this is my wand. It's from Rachel. And I very much appreciate both your support for this, because I've said it before. You have been incredibly supportive of this, which is great. I think I would do it if nobody watched. But it's so much more fun knowing that you're on the other end of this. And you know that if, if you have to miss one, I'm not going to think any less of you. You have already demonstrated how much of a fan you are of this thing. I really appreciate it. So this is my wand. It doesn't seem like people name their wands. There are wands with names, like the, the Elder Wand, which we're going to find out about much later. But I don't know if people name their wands. And if, if they did, I don't know what I would name mine. I'm going to think about that for next time. All right. Rachel, thank you very much for this beautiful gift. I appreciate it. Now, on to our traditions. I'm going to give a quick summary of what happened in the last chapter, chapter 11. And then we're going to move on with chapter 12. So, chapter 11, the Dueling Club. Harry is recovering from his, uh, I was going to say his Quidditch accident, but it's really a Gilderoy Lockhart accident. He's got his bones growing back. He goes off to find Ron and Hermione, and it turns out they have begun on the Polyjuice Potion. It's in good shape, but they still need some materials. So they go to potions class where they're able to successfully distract Snape so that Hermione can sneak into his private cupboard and steal the remaining ingredients. They add it to the potion, and while that is cooking away, they go to a dueling club. Their hopes that it would be taught by someone competent are dashed when they arrive and see Gilderoy Lockhart. Gilderoy Lockhart uh, has brought Snape as his assistant, and as you might expect, things go horribly. Um, during this event, they don't learn much, but what does happen is Harry and Malfoy are pitted against one another, and in the fray... Harry ends up speaking to a snake. He doesn't realize he does it, but it gives plenty of students at Hogwarts an incredible fright. They're very disturbed by seeing that Harry can speak to snakes. Harry, of course, doesn't realize what he's done wrong. He just knows people are looking at him very differently. Ron explains to him, with Hermione's help, that Salazar Slytherin 
was a parcel mouth. Parcel mouth, I think, I think the, the people who are able to speak it are called parcel mouth, mouths. Um, the language itself is called parcel tongue. And it's the ability to speak to snakes. But it's very uncommon. Harry thought it would be more common. Uh, it's very uncommon in the wizarding world. And it does not help Harry's odds of being able to escape the reputation of being a candidate as Slytherin's heir. He goes to the library uh, to find Justin Finch Fletchley, um, who people think was kind of one of Harry's targets. And while he's in there, he overhears a group of Hufflepuffs speaking some rumors. It turns out they're all afraid of Harry now. And Ernie McMillan is a big... Um, supporter of the theory that Harry is the heir of Slytherin and he's responsible for uh, the petrification of these uh, different non-purebloods. So Harry's relationships with other students are pretty strained right now. Finally, after having a word with Ernie McMillan in front of all of the Hufflepuffs, Harry wanders off to find Justin Finch Fletchley, runs into Hagrid briefly, and immediately after, runs into a terrible sight. Justin Finch Fletchley, who everyone knows Harry was looking for, is lying on the ground. You guys may be able to hear a dog barking in the background. I apologize, but it is an okay price to pay for a smooth stream. Justin Finch Fletchley is on the floor, petrified. Nearly headless Nick, the Gryffindor ghost, is also petrified. Harry stumbles upon this scene, and then everyone stumbles upon Harry at the scene. They think they've caught him red-handed, and Professor McGonagall takes him to, Har to takes Harry to Dumbledore's office, and that is where we're at. Wonderful people, thank you for joining me. We're about to commence on chapter twelve. That's going to be the final chapter of the evening. If you've got anything you'd like to talk about. I would love to talk about it with you. Go ahead and put it in a chat. If it's during the story, um, I may pause to talk about it, or I'll wait until after the chapter, and we'll talk about it then. Uh, if you've got any comments, questions, or concerns about the chapter, go ahead and put them in chat. And afterward, we can continue this discussion with um, Instagram. I'm my... Uh, I do most of my updates with Instagram at Sidecar Stories, no spaces. And so afterward, if you go to Sidecar Stories, you will see I've put up a little discussion thread and we can continue the conversation there. Thank you very much for joining me. You guys are wonderful people. Let us commence on the next chapter, which is Chapter 12, The Polyjuice Potion. They stepped off the stone staircase at the top, and Professor McGonagall rapped on the door. It opened silently, and they entered. Professor McGonagall told Harry to wait and left him there, alone. Harry looked around. One thing was certain. Of all the teacher's offices Harry had visited so far this year, 
Dumbledore's was by far the most interesting. If he hadn't been scared out of his wits that he was about to be thrown out of school, he would have been very pleased to have a chance to look around it. It was a large and beautiful circular room, full of funny little noises. A number of curious silver instruments stood on a spindle-legged table, whirring and emitting little puffs of smoke. The walls were covered with portraits of old headmasters and headmistresses, all of whom were snoozing gently in their frames. There was also an enormous claw-footed desk, and sitting on a shelf behind it, a shabby, tattered wizard's hat. The sorting hat. Harry hesitated. He cast a wary eye around the sleeping witches and wizards on the walls. Surely it couldn't hurt if he took the hat down and tried it on again. Just to see. Just to make sure it had put him in the right house. He walked quietly around the desk, lifted the hat from its shelf and lowered it slowly onto his head. It was much too large and it slipped down over his eyes, just as it had done the last time he'd put it on. Harry stared at the black inside of the hat, waiting. Then a small voice said in his ear, Be in your bonnet, Harry Potter. Um, yes, Harry muttered. I'm sorry to bother you. I wanted to ask. You've been wondering whether I put you in the right house, said the hat smartly. Yes, you were particularly difficult to place. But I stand by what I said before. Harry's heart leapt. You would have done well in Slytherin. Harry's stomach plummeted. He grabbed the point of the hat and pulled it off. It hung limply on his hand, grubby and faded. Harry pushed it back onto its shelf, feeling sick. You're wrong, he said aloud to the still and silent hat. It didn't move. Harry backed away, watching it, and a strange gagging noise behind him made him wheel around. He wasn't alone after all. Standing on a golden perch behind the door was a decrepit-looking bird that resembled a half-plucked turkey. Harry stared at it, and the bird looked balefully back, making its gagging noise again. Harry thought it looked very ill. Its eyes were dull, and even as Harry watched, a couple more feathers fell out of its tail. Harry was just thinking that all he needed was for Dumbledore's pet bird to die while he was alone in the office with it, when the bird burst into flames. Harry yelled in shock and backed away into the desk. He looked feverishly around in case there was a glass of water somewhere, but he couldn't see one. The bird, meanwhile, had become a fireball. It gave one loud shriek, and the next second there was nothing but a smoldering pile of ash on the floor. The door opened. Dumbledore came in, looking very somber. Professor! Harry gasped. Your bird! I, I couldn't do anything! He just caught fire! To Harry's astonishment, Dumbledore smiled. It's about time, too, he said. He's been looking dreadful for days. I've been telling him to get a move on. He chuckled at a stunned look on Harry's face. Fox is a phoenix, Harry. Phoenixes burst into flames when it is time for them to die, 
and are reborn from the ashes. Watch him. Harry looked down in time to see a tiny, wrinkled, newborn bird poke its head out of the ashes. It was quite as ugly as the old one. It's a shame you had to see him on a burning day, said Dumbledore, seating himself behind his desk. He's really very handsome most of the time. Wonderful red and gold plumage. Fascinating creatures, phoenixes. It can carry immensely heavy loads. Their tears have healing powers and they make highly faithful pets. In the shock of Fox catching fire, Harry had forgotten what he was there for. But it all came back to him as Dumbledore settled himself in the high chair behind the desk and fixed Harry with his penetrating light blue stare. Before Dumbledore could speak another word, however, the door of the office flew open with an almighty bang, and Hagrid burst in, a wild look in his eye, his balaclava perched on top of his shaggy black head and the dead rooster still swinging from his hand. "'It wasn't Harry, Professor Dumbledore,' said Hagrid urgently. "'I was talking to him seconds before that kid was found, and he never had time, sir!' Dumbledore tried to say something, but Hagrid went ranting on, waving the rooster around in his agitation." sending feathers everywhere. It can't have been him! I swear it in front of the Ministry of Magic if I have to! Hagrid, I... You got the wrong boy, sir. I know Harry would never... Hagrid! said Dumbledore loudly. I do not think that Harry attacked those people. Oh, looking embarrassed. You don't think it was me, Professor? Harry repeated hopefully as Dumbledore brushed rooster feathers off his desk. No, Harry, I don't, said Dumbledore, though his face was somber again. But I still want to talk to you. Harry waited nervously while Dumbledore considered him, the tips of his long fingers together. I must ask you, Harry, whether there is anything you'd like to tell me, he said gently. Anything at all? Harry didn't know what to say. The thought of Malfoy shouting, You'll be next, mudbloods, and of the polyjuice potion simmering away in Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. Then he thought of the disembodied voice he had heard twice, and remembered what Ron had said. Hearing voices no one else can hear isn't a good sign, even in the wizarding world. He thought, too, about what everyone was saying about him, and his growing dread that he was somehow connected with Salazar Slytherin. No, said Harry. There isn't anything, Professor. The double attack on Justin and nearly headless Nick turned what had hitherto been nervousness into real panic. Curiously, it was nearly headless Nick's fate that seemed to worry people most. What could possibly do that to a ghost, people asked each other. What terrible power could harm someone who was already dead? It was almost a stampede to book seats on the Hogwarts Express so that students could go home for Christmas. At this rate, we'll be the only ones left, Ron told Harry and Hermione. Us, Malfoy, Crabbe and Goyle. What a jolly holiday that's going to be. Crabbe and Goyle, who always did whatever Malfoy did, had signed up to stay over the holidays too. But Harry was glad that most people were leaving... He was tired of people skirting around him in the corridors, as though he was about to sprout fangs or spit poison. 
tired of all the muttering, pointing, and hissing as he passed. Fred and George, however, found all this very funny. They went out of their way to march ahead of Harry down the corridors, shouting, Make way for the heir of Slytherin! Seriously evil wizard coming through! Percy was deeply disapproving of this behavior. It is not a laughing matter, he said coldly. Oh, get out of the way, Percy, said Fred. Harry's in a hurry. Yeah, he's off to the Chamber of Secrets for a cup of tea with his fanged serpent. Servant, dang it. He's off to the Chamber of Secrets for a cup of tea with his fanged servant, said George, chortling. Ginny didn't find it amusing either. Oh, don't, she wailed every time Fred asked Harry loudly who he was planning to attack next, or when George pretended to ward Harry off with a large clove of garlic when they met. Harry didn't mind. It made him feel better that Fred and George, at least, thought the idea of his being Slytherin's heir was quite ludicrous. But their antics seemed to be aggravating Draco Malfoy, who looked increasingly sour each time he saw them at it. It's because he's bursted to say that it's really him, said Ron knowingly. You know how he hates everyone beating him at anything. You're getting all the credit for his dirty work. Not for long, said Hermione in a satisfied tone. The Polyjuice Potion's nearly ready. We'll be getting the truth out of him any day now. At last, the term ended, and a silence deep as the snow on the grounds descended on the castle. Harry found it peaceful, rather than gloomy, and enjoyed the fact that he, Hermione, and the Weasleys had the run of Gryffindor Tower. Which meant they could play Exploding Snap loudly without bothering anyone, and practice dueling in private. Fred, George, and Ginny had chosen to stay at school rather than visit Bill in Egypt with Mr. and Mrs. Weasley. Percy, who disapproved of what he termed their childish behavior, didn't spend much time in the Gryffindor common room. He had already told them pompously that he was only staying over Christmas because it was his duty as a prefect to support the teachers during this troubled time. Christmas morning dawned cold and white. Harry and Ron the only ones left in their dormitory, were woken very early by Hermione, who burst in, fully dressed, carrying presents for them both. "'Wake up!' Hermione said loudly, pulling back the curtains at the window. "'Hermione, you're not supposed to be in here,' said Ron, shielding his eyes against the light. "'Merry Christmas to you two, said Hermione, throwing him his present. "'I've been up for nearly an hour, adding more lace wings to the potion. "'It's ready!' Harry sat up, suddenly wide awake. Are you sure? Positive, said Hermione, shifting Scabbers the rat so she could sit down at the end of Ron's four-poster. If we're going to do it, I say it should be tonight. At that moment, Hedwig swooped into the room, carrying a very small package in her beak. Hello, said Harry happily as she landed on his bed. Are you speaking to me again? She nibbled his ear in an affectionate sort of way, which was a far better present than the one she had brought him, which turned out to be from the Dursleys. They had sent Harry a toothpick and a note, telling him to find out whether he'd be able to stay at Hogwarts for the rest of the summer. Vacation 2 The rest of Harry's Christmas presents were far more satisfactory. Hagrid had sent him a large tin of treacle toffee, 
which Harry decided to soften by the fire before eating. Ron had given him a book called Flying with the Cannons, a book of interesting facts about his favorite Quidditch team, and Hermione had bought him a luxury eagle feather quill. Harry opened the last present to find a new, hand-knitted sweater from Mrs. Weasley and a large plum cake. He read her card with a fresh surge of guilt, thinking about how Mr. Weasley's car, which hadn't been seen since its crash in the Whomping Willow, and the bout of rule-breaking he and Ron were planning next. No one, not even someone dreading taking Polyjuice Potion later, could fail to enjoy Christmas dinner at Hogwarts. The Great Hall looked magnificent. Not only were there a dozen frost-covered Christmas trees and thick streamers of holly and mistletoe crossing the ceiling, but enchanted snow was falling, warm and dry from the ceiling. Tumbledore led them in a few of his favorite carols, Hagrid booming more and more loudly with every goblet of agnog he consumed. Percy, who hadn't noticed that Fred had bewitched his prefect badge so that it now read Pinhead, kept asking them what they were all sniggering at. Harry didn't even care that Draco Malfoy was making loud, snide remarks about his new sweater from the Slytherin table. With a bit of luck, Malfoy would be getting his comeuppance in a few hours' time. Harry and Ron had barely finished their third helpings of Christmas pudding when Hermione ushered them out of the hall to finalize their plans for the evening. "'We still need a bit of the people you're changing into,' said Hermione, matter-of-factly, as though she were sending them to the supermarket for laundry detergent. "'And obviously it'll be best if you can get something of Crab and Goyle's. They're Malfoy's best friends. He'll tell them anything. And we need to make sure the real Crab and Goyle can't burst in on us while we're interrogating him. I've got it all worked out,' she went on smoothly, ignoring Harry and Ron's stupefied faces. She'd held up two plump chocolate cakes. "'I filled these with a simple sleeping draught. All you have to do is make sure that Crab and Goyle find them. You know how greedy they are. They're bound to eat them. Once they're asleep, pull out a few of their hairs and hide them in a broom closet.' Harry and Ron looked incredulously at each other. "'Hermione, I don't think that could go seriously wrong, but Hermione had a steely glint in her eye, not unlike the one Professor McGonagall sometimes had. "'The potion will be useless without Crab and Goyle's hair,' she said sternly. "'You do want to investigate Malfoy, don't you?' "'Oh, all right, all right,' said Harry. "'But what about you? Whose hair are you ripping out?' "'I've already got mine,' said Hermione brightly pulling a tiny bottle out of her pocket and showing them the single hair inside it. Remember Millicent Bulstrode wrestling with me at the dueling club? She left this on my robe so she was trying to strangle me. And she's gone home for Christmas, so I'll just have to tell the Slytherins I've decided to come back. When Hermione had bustled off to check the polyjuice potion, Ron turned to Harry with a doom-laden expression. Have you ever heard of a plan where so many things could go wrong? But to Harry and Ron's utter amazement, stage one of the operation went just as smoothly as Hermione said. They lurked in the deserted entrance hall after Christmas tea, waiting for Crab and Goyle, who had remained alone at the Slytherin table, shoveling down fourth helpings of trifle. Harry had perched the chocolate cakes on the end of the banisters. When they spotted Crab and Goyle coming out of the great hall, Harry and Ron hid quickly behind a suit of armor next to the front door. 
<laughs> How thick can you get? Ron whispered ecstatically as Crab gleefully pointed out the cakes to Goyle and grabbed them. Grinning stupidly, they stuffed the cakes whole into their large mouths. For a moment, both of them chewed greedily looks of triumph on their faces. Then, without the smallest change of expression, they both keeled backward onto the floor. By far the hardest part of the plan was hiding them in the closets across the hall. Once they were safely stowed among the buckets and mops, Harry yanked out a couple of the bristles that covered Goyle's forehead, and Ron pulled out several of Crab's hairs. They also stole their shoes, because their own were too small for Crab and Goyle-sized feet. Then, still stunned at what they had just done, they sprinted up to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. They could hardly see for the thick black smoke issuing from the stall in which Hermione was stirring the cauldron. Pulling their robes over their faces, Harry and Ron knocked softly on the door. Hermione? They heard the scrape of the lock, and Hermione emerged, shiny-faced and looking anxious. Behind her, they heard the gloop, gloop, gloop of the bubbling, glutinous potion. Three glass tumblers stood ready on the toilet seat. Did you get them? Hermione asked breathlessly. Harry showed her Goyle's hair. Good. And I sneaked these spare robes out of the laundry, Hermione said, holding up a small sack. You'll need bigger sizes once you're Crab and Goyle. The three of them stared into the cauldron. Close up, the potion looked like thick, dark mud, bubbling sluggishly. I'm sure I've done everything right, said Hermione, nervously rereading the splotched page of most potent potions. It looks like the book says it should. Once we've drunk it, we'll have exactly an hour before we change back into ourselves. Now, nah, Walt, Ron whispered. We separate it into three glasses and add the hairs. Hermione ladled large dollops of the potion into each glass. Then, her hand trembling, she took Millicent Bulstrode's hair out of its bottle and put it into the first glass. The potion hissed loudly like a boiling kettle and frothed madly. A second later, it had turned a sick sort of yellow. Ugh! Essence of Millicent Bulstrode said Ron, eyeing it with loathing. I bet it tastes disgusting. Add yours, then, said Hermione. Harry dropped Goyle's hair into the middle glass, and Ron put crabs into the last one. Both glasses hissed and frothed. Goyle's turned the khaki color of a booger. Crabs a dark, murky brown. Hang on said Harry, as Ron and Hermione reached for their glasses. We'd better not drink them in here. Once we turn into Crab and Goyle, we won't fit. And Millicent Bulstrode's no pixie. Good thinking, said Ron, unlocking the door. We'll take him into separate stalls. Careful not to spill a drop of his polyjuice potion, Harry slipped into the middle stall. Ready? he called. Ready! came Ron and Hermione's voices. One, two, three. Pinching his nose, Harry drank the potion down in two large gulps. It tasted like overcooked cabbage. 
Immediately, his insides started writhing as though he had just swallowed live snakes. Doubling up, he wondered whether he was going to be sick. Then a burning sensation spread rapidly from his stomach to the very ends of his fingers and toes. Next, bringing him gasping to all fours, came the horrible melting feeling, as the skin all over his body bubbled like hot wax. And before his eyes, his hands began to grow. His fingers thickened, the nails broadened, the knuckles were like bulging bolts. His shoulders stretched painfully, and a prickling on his forehead told him that the hair was creeping down toward his eyebrows. His robes ripped as his chest expanded like a barrel, bursting its hoops. His feet were in agony, in shoes four sizes too small. As suddenly as it had started, everything stopped. Harry lay face down on the stone-cold floor, listening to Myrtle gurgling morosely in the end toilet. With difficulty, he kicked off his shoes and stood up. So this is what it felt like, being Goyle. His large hand trembling, he pulled off his old robes, which were hanging a foot above his ankles. He pulled on the spare ones and laced up Goyle's boat-like shoes. He reached up to brush his hair out of his eyes and met only the short growth of wirely bristles low on his forehead. Then he realized that his glasses were clouding his eyes because Goyle obviously didn't need them. He took them off and called, Are you two okay? Goyle's low rasp of a voice issued from his mouth. Yeah, came the deep grunt of Crab from his right. Look, I gotta do something with it. I can't make them sound the same. Otherwise, they both sound like this. Harry unlocked his door and stepped in front of the cracked mirror. Goyle stared back at him out of the dull, deep-set eyes. Harry scratched his ear. So did Goyle. Ron's door opened. They stared at each other. Except that he looked pale and shocked, Ron was indistinguishable from Crab from the pudding bowl haircut to the long gorilla arms. This is incredible. Unbelievable, said Ron, approaching the mirror and prodding Crab's flat nose. Unbelievable. We better get going, said Harry, loosening the watch that was cutting into Goyle's thick wrist. We've still got a find where the Slytherin common room is. I only hope we can find someone to follow. Ron, who had been gazing at Harry, said, You don't know how bizarre it is to see Goyle thinking. He banged on Hermione's door. Come on, we need to go. A high-pitched voice answered him. I, I don't think I'm going to come after all. You go on without me. Hermione, we know Millicent Bulstrode's ugly, but no one's going to know it's you. No, really, I don't think I'll come. You two hurry up, you're wasting time. Harry looked at Ron, bewildered. That looks more like Goyle, said Ron. That's how he looks every time a teacher asks him a question. Hermione, are you okay? said Harry through the door. Fine, I'm fine. Go on. Harry looked at his watch. Five of their precious sixty minutes had already passed. We'll meet you back here, all right? Said. Hmm? Oh, 
We'll meet you back here, all right? He said. Harry and Ron opened the door of the bathroom carefully, checked that the coast was clear, and set off. Who's this? Yeah, that's better. They went down the marble staircase. All they needed now was a Slytherin they could follow to the Slytherin common room, but there was nobody around. And the ideas, muttered Harry. The Slytherins always come up to breakfast from over there, said Ron, nodding at the entrance to the dungeons. The word had barely left his mouth when a girl with long, curly hair emerged from the entrance. Excuse me, said Ron, hurrying up to her. We've forgotten the way the wild common room. I beg your pardon, said the girl stiffly. Our common room? I'm a Ravenclaw. She walked away, looking suspiciously back at them. Harry and Ron hurried down the stone steps into the darkness, their footsteps echoing particularly loudly as Crab and Goyle's huge feet hit the floor, feeling that this wasn't going to be as easy as they had hoped. The labyrinthian passages were deserted. They walked deeper and deeper under the school, constantly checking their watches to see how much time they had left. After a quarter of an hour, just when they had started to get desperate, they heard a sudden movement ahead. Huh, said Ron excitedly. There's one of them now. The figure was emerging from a side room. As they hurried nearer, however, their hearts sank. He said stiffly, "Is none of your business. It's crab, isn't it?" "What? Oh, yeah," said Ron. "Well, get off to your dormitory," said Fred. Mm, "Boy," said Percy sternly. "It's not safe to go wandering around dark corridors these days." "You are," Ron pointed out. "I," said Percy, drawing himself up. "I'm a prefect. Nothing's about to attack me." A voice suddenly echoed behind Harry and Ron. Draco Malfoy was strolling toward them, and for the first time in his life, Harry was pleased to see him. There you are, he drawled, looking at them. Have you two been pigging out in the Great Hall all this time? I've been looking for you. I want to show you something really funny. Malfoy glanced witheringly at Percy. And what are you doing down here, Weasley? he sneered. Percy looked outraged. "'You want to show a bit more respect to a school prefect?' he said. "'I don't like your attitude.' Malfoy sneered and motioned for Harry and Ron to follow him. Harry almost said something apologetic to Percy, but caught himself, just in time. He and Ron hurried after Malfoy, who said as they turned into the next passage, "'That Peter Weasley.' "'Percy!' Oh, what is it? Let's see. Percy. Ron corrected him automatically. Whatever, said Malfoy. I've noticed him sneaking around a lot lately. I bet I know what is he up to what he's up to. He thinks he's going to catch Slytherin's air single handed. He gave a short, derisive laugh. Harry and Ron exchanged excited looks. Malfoy paused by a stretch of bare, damp stone wall. What's the new password again? He said to Harry. Uh, said Harry. Oh yeah, pure blood, said Malfoy, not listening, and a stone door concealed in the wall slid open. 
Malfoy marched through it, and Harry and Ron followed him. The Slytherin common room was a long, low underground room, with rough stone walls and ceiling from which round greenish lamps were hanging on chains. A fire was crackling under, under an elaborately carved mantelpiece. In, uh, ahead of them, and several Slytherins were silhouetted against it in high-backed chairs. Wait here, said Malfoy to Harry and Ron, motioning to them for a pair of empty chairs set back from the fire. I'll go and get it. My father's just sent it to me. Wondering what Malfoy was going to show them, Harry and Ron sat down, doing their best to look at home. Malfoy came back a minute later, holding what looked like a newspaper clipping. He thrust it under Ron's nose. <laughs> That'll give you a laugh, he said. Harry saw Ron's eyes widen in shock. He read the clipping quickly, gave a very forced laugh, and handed it to Harry. It had been clipped out of the Daily Prophet, and it said, Inquiry at the Ministry of Magic. Arthur Weasley, head of the Misuse of Muggle Artifacts office, was today fined 50 galleons for bewitching a muggle car. Mr. Lucius Malfoy, a governor of the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, where the enchanted car crashed earlier this year, called today for Mr. Weasley's resignation. Weasley has brought the ministry into disrepute, Mr. Malfoy told our reporter. He is clearly unfit to draw up our laws, and this ridiculous Muggle Protection Act of his should be scrapped immediately. Mr. Weasley was unavailable for comment, although his wife told reporters to clear off or she'd set the family ghoul on them. Well said Malfoy impatiently as Harry handed the clipping back to him. Don't you think it's funny? <laughs> said Harry bleakly. Arthur Weasley loves muggles so much he should snap his wand in half and go join them. Said Malfoy scornfully. You'd never have known the Weasleys were purebloods the way they behave. Ron's, or rather Crab's, face was contorted with fury. What's up with you, crab? snapped Malfoy. Stomach ache, Ron grunted. Well, come up to the hospital wing and give all those mudbloods a kick from me, said Malfoy, snickering. You know, I'm surprised the Daily Prophet hasn't reported all these attacks yet, he went on thoughtfully. I suppose Dumbledore's trying to hush it all up. I'll be sacked if it doesn't stop soon. Father's always said, Oh, Dumbledore's the worst thing that's ever happened to this place. He loves Muggleborns. A decent headmaster would never let slime like Colin Creevy in. Malfoy started taking pictures with an imaginary camera and did a cruel but accurate impression of Colin. Potter, can I have your autograph? Potter, can I get a picture? Can I lick your shoes, please, Potter? He dropped his hands and looked at Harry and Ron. What's the matter with you two? Far too late, Harry and Ron forced themselves to laugh. But Malfoy seemed satisfied. Perhaps Crabbe and Goyle were always slow on the uptake. Saint Potter the Mudblood's friend, said Malfoy slowly. He's another one with no proper wizard feeling, or he wouldn't go around with that jumped-up Granger Mudblood. And people think he's Slytherin's heir. Harry and Ron waited with bated breath, 
Malfoy was surely seconds away from telling them it was him. But then... I wish I knew who it was, said Malfoy petulantly. I could help them. Ron's jaw dropped that Crab looked even more clueless than usual. Fortunately, Malfoy didn't notice, and Harry, thinking fast, said, You must have some idea who's behind it all. You know I haven't, Goyle. How many times do I have to tell you? snapped Malfoy. And Father won't tell me anything about the last time the chamber was opened, either. Of course, it was fifty years ago, so it was before his time, but he knows all about it. He says it was all kept quiet, and it'll look suspicious if I know too much about it, but I know one thing. Last time the Chamber of Secrets was opened, a mudblood died. So I'll bet it's a matter of time before one of them's killed this time. I hope it's Granger, he said with relish. Ron was clenching Crab's gigantic fists, feeling that it would be a bit of a giveaway if Ron punched Malfoy. Harry shot him a warning look and said, Do you know if the person who opened the chamber last time got caught? Oh, yeah, whoever it was was expelled, said Malfoy. They're probably still in Azkaban. Azkaban? said Harry, puzzled. Azkaban! The wizard prison, Goyle, said Malfoy, looking at him in disbelief. Honestly, if you were any slower, you'd be going backward. He shifted restlessly in his chair and said, Father says to keep my head down and let the Slytherin's air get on with it. He says the school needs ridding of all the mudblood filth, but not to get mixed up in it. Of course, he's got a lot on his plate at the moment. You know, the Ministry of Magic raided our manor last week. Harry tried to force Goyle's dull face into a look of concern. Yeah, said Malfoy. Luckily, they didn't find much. Father's got some very valuable dark art stuff. But luckily, we've got our own secret chamber under the drawing room floor. Oh, said Ron. Malfoy looked at him. So did Harry. Ron blushed. Even his hair was turning red. His nose was already slowly lengthening. Their hour was up, and Ron was turning back into himself, and from the look of horror he was suddenly giving Harry, he must be too. They both jumped to their feet. Medicine for my stomach, make, Ron grunted, and without further ado they sprinted the length of the Slytherin common room, hurled themselves at the stone wall, and dashed up the passage, hoping against hope that Malfoy hadn't noticed anything. Harry could feel his feet slipping in around Goyle's huge shoes and had to hoist up the robes as they shrank. As he shrank, excuse me. They crashed up the steps into this dark entrance hall, which was full of a muffled pounding coming from the closet where they'd locked Crab and Goyle. Leaving their shoes outside the closet door, they sprinted up in their socks, up the marble staircase toward Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. Well, it wasn't a complete waste of time. Ron panted, closing the bathroom door behind them. I know we still haven't figured out who's behind the attacks, but I'm going to write Dad tomorrow and tell him to check under the Malfoy's drawing room. Harry checked his face in the cracked mirror. He was back to normal. He put his glasses on as Ron hammered on the door of Hermione's stall. Hermione, come out, we've got loads to tell you. Go away, Hermione squeaked. Harry and Ron looked at each other. 
What's the matter? said Ron. You must be normal by now. We are. But moaning Myrtle glided suddenly through the stall door. Harry had never seen her looking so happy. Oh, wait till you see, she said. It's awful. They heard the lock slide back and Hermione emerged, sobbing, her robes pulled up over her head. What's up? said Ron uncertainly. Have you still got Millicent's nose or something? Hermione let her robes fall back and Ron backed into the sink. Her face was covered in black fur. Her eyes had turned yellow and there were long pointed ears poking through her hair. It, it was a cat, she swallowed. No, she swallowed. She howled. Millicent Bulstrode must have a cat and the potion isn't supposed to be for animal transformations. Uh-oh, said Ron. You'll be teased something dreadful, said Myrtle happily. It's okay, Hermione, said Harry quickly. We'll take you up to the hospital wing. Madame Pomfrey never asks too many questions. It took a long time to persuade Hermione to leave the bathroom. Mooning Myrtle sped them along their way with a hearty guffaw. Oh, wait till everyone finds out you've got a tail! And that is the end of chapter 12. Wonderful people, thank you all very much for joining me. This has been Sidecar Stories. I have been Sam. If you would like to continue our discussion after this stream ends, I would love to continue it with you. It's going to be at Sidecar Stories on Instagram. That's where I do most of my updates. So you can go ahead and follow that and keep up with streaming times and all that. Anything getting delayed or changed, I stream very consistently every week at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Sundays. Now, I'm going to do a quick little discussion at the end. If there's anything you'd like to talk about, go ahead and put it in the chat. Uh, if nobody's got anything, I'm just going to bluster for a bit, and then I will see you next week. Now, uh, Rich is asking, why did Hermione's potion last longer? Um, let's see, what's a good comparison? Basically, it was made wrong. Uh... The the idea of potions is pretty uh, deeply rooted in the idea of chemistry. And one thing about chemistry that you might know is that chemistry is very precise. It's a bit like baking a cake. If you do one thing even just a little bit wrong, you're going to end up with something really nasty. So imagine you're making a cake and instead of putting eggs in, you put in something totally random like um, salt. You're going to end up with some real nasty stuff. And this is exactly what Snape talked about at the beginning of the year. Um, at the beginning of all his classes, he says that it's not just waving your wand around. Potions is a very precise art. So I guess the animal transformation made the time change as much as it did the effect. My face looks so red. Look how red my face is. It's better when I've got my green screen, and I plan to get the green screen back next week. Um, even maybe a slight improvement on my 
little face cards, but that's what we've got. Rachel, we've talked about this before, but I wonder what color my my polyjuice potion would be. What color do you think yours would be? It seems to be different for everyone. I'm really happy with this stream. I'm glad we're back. I'm glad we're back at 100% too. You know, we're not uh, messing around with constant delays and stuttering stream and all that. Um, and like I said, I should be able to return to this location. Maybe not every week, but, you know, reasonably consistently. Um, and I would also like to bump down. Right now, I've got the stream delay at 20 seconds, which means that when I record, you know, when I say something, it shows up to you guys 20 seconds later. I'd like to bump that down if possible and get even more live interaction. That way, when you guys ask a question, I answer it immediately instead of 20 seconds later. I've really enjoyed reading for you guys. And I get, I'm so happy when things work so much better like this. Rachel says, it's been a really, really good stream, and I agree. Rachel, it has been an excellent stream. Um, I've enjoyed it a lot. And I want to go back, and I want to talk about this here. That Look at this, look at this, uh, picture of the Slytherin common room. Look at how cool that is. Look at this. Matter of fact, I might be able to, let's see, how am I gonna, yeah, there were there were no glitches. It didn't look like there was anything bad on my end. So I think I'm gonna be able to bump the, uh, the delay down a little bit. But look at this, look at this art. This is the Slytherin common room. I've seen notes about how um, up here, uh, if you guys remember, the the Slytherin common room is down in the dungeons, and I've I read a little bit about how this little window up here might be looking into the the dark depths of the lake outside Hogwarts, and I think that would be really cool—a skylight that goes into a lake. But uh, I think this is some some fantastic art, and I love looking around at this stuff. I can never remember which ways which ways which here because it. My uh, webcam is mirrored, so I can never tell which ways <laughs> I'm going to be pointing. What are the other common rooms like? Um, it's funny, we actually don't look much at other common rooms until, I believe, the very last book. I'm trying to remember if that's true. Um, I believe this is our first time in the Slytherin common room. First time getting a look at that. And obviously we know the Gryffindor common room is kind of... Um, you know, it's dignified, but welcoming. Maybe welcoming, but dignified would be a better way to say it. Uh, and then the Slytherin common room, clearly very imposing. They, you know, certain certain details of that particular picture weren't mentioned. Um, you know, I always give the art credits, but let me just reinforce it. Uh, Elliot Chococo. I just want to call him out on DeviantArt as being a great artist and congratulate him on his... his uh, artwork there. Yeah, we don't get to see much from the other common rooms yet. I imagine, though, based on Hufflepuffs and Ravenclaws, that the Hufflepuff room is very much oriented toward being welcoming. Uh, it's very much a community space. I'll bet, I'll bet the Hufflepuffs like spending time in there, too. I'll bet they like going to hang out. You know, the, the Gryffindors seem to like that as well, but I bet the Hufflepuffs are a really tight-knit community. It seems like they were. They all go to the... the um, uh, you know, big groups of them were in the library together. Now they were 
gossiping about Harry. That's not great, but they seem pretty tight-knit. And then the Ravenclaws, I imagine, I almost imagine it would be like cubicles. It seems like it would be very study-oriented, uh, very practical, you know, well-lit, but not necessarily cheery, very efficient space. Thank you guys all so much for joining me. Again, my name is Sam. You can hear all of my updates uh, on Instagram at Sidecar Stories. I love doing this today. I love it when it goes well. Thank you all very much for watching. I'm going to end the stream here, but if you'd like to continue with any questions or comments or concerns about the people we've met, the places we've gone, the new things we're learning about, uh, I would love to hear about them on Instagram. You're going to see the uh, discussion post up shortly. You'll see it with a little blue bar down at the bottom. It's been wonderful. Hey, Luke's still around. How's it going, Luke? Ravenclaws probably have their own library. They do, and I wonder what sort of little, like, um, like Ravenclaw black market would be like. I imagine the Ravenclaws would have, you know, extensive notes. They would have, you know, they, they would be into all the sort of, um, like, nowadays, what is it called? Uh, seating and downloading. Dang it, what is it called? Um, but basically, they'd have all of the, like, ripped PDFs of books they're not supposed to have. And there would, I imagine, be this this sort of black market of like really interesting research and such. Just keep ranting for a few minutes. <laughs> okay. Not too much longer. Uh, 8.15 at the latest. Because this, this has been one of my longer ones. But I agree. It's been a great one. So why end it early? Yeah, I could definitely see Ravenclaws with their own library. Do you think it's awkward in the Ravenclaw common room? Like, do you think it's it's... You know, these, these, the houses are all kind of based on stereotypes, but there is a sense that, you know, some of these stereotypes will ring true. I think, I, I certainly would have been a Ravenclaw if I were sorted back in sixth grade. I don't know what I would be now. I intend to find out on stream. I plan to stream that. I'm going to take the Pottermore quiz. Hopefully it's hopefully I don't get like the the five question version. Hopefully it's a little tougher than that for it to figure out where I'm going to be, but we'll see. Um but I very much would have been a Ravenclaw. I probably would have asked to be a Ravenclaw. I was a very studious individual. Um but I I I would have been kind of awkward. I was homeschooled through 5th grade and you know, if I had gotten my letter Hogwarts would have been the first public school I would have gone to. Luke says, I think they're all high-functioning sociopaths, so they probably don't notice it's awkward. Yeah, they do sort of... Yeah, I, I, think, I think you're probably somewhat right about the sociopaths. Um, but yeah, they would, have, you know, they would have all gotten used to each other. and all. It probably would have been comforting to be in an environment where everyone's kind of as awkward as you are, but you all recognize that... You're valuable not because you're socially adept, but you're valuable because you work hard and uh, you know a lot, you know? You study up. <laughs> Rachel and Luke bonding over the uh, Sherlock references. Auburn color, what are you referring to there? I'll bet, I'll bet some really strange stuff goes on in the darkness in the uh, Slytherin common room 
I wonder what that's like. You know, like I knew, I know, I knew some some oddballs in high school. Most of them were in band, I think, and the band section of school was kind of ref, uh, removed from the rest of school, and so all the weirdness happened down there. Uh, Rachel says, also the reason I wanted you to stay on is because I was taking a what is your polyjuice potion color? Oh, I see, an Auburn polyjuice potion. Okay, I could see that. Yeah, it took me a while. This has been a pleasure. I said 8.15. I'll stay on for a little bit longer. Just a little bit. Yeah, I think I would have enjoyed the, the Ravenclaw common room. I would have enjoyed having my own little study space and putting it to good use. Luke says, another important question. Is technology ever referenced in Harry Potter? I keep wanting a Ravenclaw standalone book about a muggle-born kid who brings electricity and Wi-Fi to Hogwarts. They don't really talk about it much, it seems like. Uh, Arthur Weasley gets the biggest discussion of muggle technology going, and even that just sort of happens in passing. He asks Harry about different elements, and he doesn't really seem to get covered much. But I do think that would be hugely significant, especially, you know, I think, I think the book about the muggle-born kid who brings electricity and Wi-Fi to Hogwarts, I think that would be... Uh, shortly after the events of, of uh, you know, the Harry Potter series. I think he would be, he or she would be um, a student who came in like around 2000. And I think it would be a fascinating look at, at like, you know, the reforms that would happen. Because I think it would start at school. I think you'd have these kids, uh, as they do, sort of spreading things around. And you'd have all these muggle-born kids who never really had... Um, a good reason to ask, access a lot of muggle technology. And then suddenly there's this kid who's showing people YouTube videos of all these things happening in the muggle world. And, and these wizard-born kids are looking around saying, okay, there, there might be something to this. It's not just, you know, sort of strange muggle people blundering around with their, you know, taxi cabs and, and uh, you know, crappy transportation and, and silly systems of communication. There's really something to this. I think they'd be I think they'd be blown away by live streamers. <laughs> you know, I think this would be fascinating to them. Uh being able to do that without magic and so they'd start to see like, okay, you know, there's there's something to this and then that would spread to their parents and you get a lot of more people like Arthur Weasley kind of like we do have now, you know. It it took a while for adults to get interested in smartphones and YouTube and all that. And now I was just watching a a video the other day about uh let's see he was a navy seal veteran i believe who does live streams playing PUBG, and he's he looks like he was probably in his 70s uh but it's fascinating now and so what sort of things would you get as muggle technology started to really become a big deal in the magical world be fascinating and i think it would spread from the students upward rachel says uh because it asked which character i would be so i took a harry potter character quiz so it was like twice as long Rachel says why wasn't hermione in ravenclaw Dumb <laughs> luke says dumbledore needed a cell phone in sorcerer's stone for sure yeah i think so i think i think <laughs> there are certain things in uh in sorcerer's stone and then in the next book after the one we're on now too books one and three where cell phones could really really come in handy it's a it's a bit like seinfeld um 
But yeah, Hermione and Ravenclaw. I think Hermione would have had a great chance of ending up in Ravenclaw, but I think I think the you know, there's there's something very mystical, not just magical, but mystical about the sorting hat. It seems to understand the needs of the person and the needs of the school better than just you want to be in Gryffindor, so yeah, tally ho, go to Gryffindor. Um I read something interesting about how the sorting hat not only has to put people where kind of they belong, but it has to balance out the houses too. You know, what are the odds that 25% of of each incoming class uh, are appropriate for each house? You know what I mean? You, you Out of a, you know, when I was in sixth grade, I can't imagine that it would have been such an even distribution of the different houses between me and all my classmates. So I think there's something more to the the sorting hat than just sort of a a kooky headpiece that that speaks. I think I think it really knows what people need and takes that into consideration just as much as what people want. And I think Hermione probably was a lot like me when I was younger. I had things that I was really enthusiastic about, but if I hadn't gotten connected to the right people, I'm not sure it would have been easy for me to ever make friends. And so Hermione uh, has just met Harry Potter and Ron Weasley on the train and sort of almost hit it off. And I think perhaps the Sorting Hat recognizes this and recognizes that she's very intelligent, but maybe she needs a chance with people who she's already connected with. Maybe she's recognized that uh, the Gryffindor house is, is um, let's see, meat-headed? Is that an appropriate word for this for, for this particular year? Um, uh, the Harry's Harry's class, you know, the the first years when Harry gets sorted, um, they end up being uh, pretty athletic, but not necessarily great with their studies. Uh, and so maybe the Sorting Hat recognized that the that that year in Gryffindor is going to need some help. That's my theory. Sorting hat. Knows what's up. Rachel's asking, how many magic schools are there in the wizarding world of Harry Potter? Um, okay, so in the wizarding world, in, in, in the world of Harry Potter, as, it, as the seven books were written, um, I believe we are made aware of three houses. And that's going to become a lot more important in book three. Oh boy, is it three or four? I think it's three. Three, four. Oh boy, I've done this once before. I can I can't remember which one the the Goblet of Fire is. Is it three or four? Yeah, it talks about the Triwizard Tournament, which is Hogwarts, Durmstrang, and Bobatons. Uh, Bobatons is in France, and let's see. I don't remember where. I think I think the the Durmstrang is hidden. This the Durmstrang school is is thoroughly hidden. Um, now, of course, we know a little bit more, and there are probably uh, a number of new wizarding schools. Uh, certainly in America, there's Ilvermorny, which we've learned a little bit about. I'll bet there's one in the um, New Orleans area, somewhere down there, and I'll bet there are you know. African schools and and you know schools over in Russia and Asia, because magic is something that's t 
talked about in lore all over the world. Rachel says, also, if people change so much throughout the years of their life, why aren't they sorted each year they get to Hogwarts? Well, when I went to, to middle school, we had houses as well, and there was something good about being with the same classmates every year. And I also think it's not necessarily, and you know, this is, this is part of what I'm talking about with the sorting hat. I don't think it's necessarily all about saying, okay, you're smart, so you automatically go to Ravenclaw. I think it's important to have smart people in every house. I think it's important to have brave people in every house. I think it's important to have ambitious people in every house. And I think it's important to have kind people in every house. You know, just to pick out a few of the, the standard traits of that are associated with certain houses. I think I think the sorting hat is has a lot more authority than people realize. They talk about it a little bit later. I'm actually in my in in a different read through, a, a private read through of um my, of the Harry Potter series. I'm on the sixth book, and they talk about kind of what happens afterward. And so I think some of the associations that you make with these people, some of the friendships, some of the acquaintances that you have from your house, become very important later in life. You know, somebody who you spent seven years of your life with during school. Uh, could be very important later you know if if harry was changing houses every year he might not get to know people very well i'm sure he'd stick with ron and hermione even if they were sorted into different houses but people like seamus finnegan you know if if seamus finnegan becomes a um you know i'm not going to give anything away about the the uh the fates of people as they grow up but you know imagine seamus finnegan becomes a a member of the ministry of magic Harry will have spent seven years with him as they are both uh, Gryffindors. Whereas if they get sorted, you know, every year, then Harry won't really have that strong of a connection. So if he gets sorted into the Ministry of Magic and Harry ever needs a connection to the Ministry, he's got one. And I think it's valuable to have lasting connections. All right. It's time to call it. It's been wonderful talking with you guys. This is what I like, and I, I, I would love for this to be uh, every week, basically. Luke says 11 schools. Okay. I imagine there are probably three in the U.S., three that we know of in Europe. Um, is that 11 schools worldwide? Luke says, tried to send a link, and it didn't let me. Pottermore released a map. All right. Yeah. Pottermore is certainly going to be a good resource for this sorts of thing. Um, Okay, I'm going to end it. Please uh, join me on Instagram. We can keep this going. We can talk about <laughs> the, the different Hogwarts schools. I'll bet there's a sorter for, uh, you know, which Hogwarts school would you have gone to. I'll bet there's another quiz for it. They love the quizzes. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. You're wonderful people, and I will see you next week. Have a wonderful night.